Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Nerdfest podcast. With us today we have Ian Mayer, Peter Johnson, Dan Watkins, Louise Taylor and I'm John Farthing. This episode we've got some bus or bus for you. So like the Black Eyed Peas almost said, let's get it started. Where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Black Eyed Peas are a total band, aren't they? No one's taking that job. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Mayer, this is, is this the first time you've been in a room with us? It's not the first time I've been in a room with you, John. <laughs> um, and it's not the first time I've been in the room recording this, but it's the first time in a good while. And it's definitely the first time I've been recording with Louise. Louise, we finally dragged you back in the room. I've, I've insulted your opinions enough. I've come back. To factually correct my misinformations. I'll be doing that a lot. But before we get to Abus Oblus, I believe, Dan, we have a listener question. We do indeed. Uh, we put the call out on Twitter to see if there were any nerdy questions that people wanted to ask us. And Duncan Gosling has come back with the question, what is the best fourth film in a series? The best fourth mm. film. Mm. Alien Resurrection. What? <laughs> what? Are there any where the fourth is better than the first three that went before it? Oh, okay. I wouldn't say that about Alien Resurrection. I don't think there's any ones where the fourth is better. I think there's good fourth films. Uh-huh. So I would say Bride of Chucky, which is the fourth oh, Charles Of course you would. Right. Well, Louise, we heard your thoughts on Chucky last time. I don't think I've seen Bride of Chucky, to be fair. It's is that the good. one with Gen- Jennifer Tillion? Yeah, yes, it's one of the one. ones with Jennifer Tillion. I would argue that Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, the fourth one, is better than any of the three that came before it. I think Mission Impossible gets better as it goes on. Hmm. Was that the one with Henry Cavill in? Ghost Protocol is running down the Burj Khalifa. <laughs> so the one before? Uh, the Brad Bird directed one. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's the uh, one before Henry Cavill. Philip Seymour Hoffman? Uh, the one after that. Oh, for God's sake. How many of these are there? <laughs> I think there have been six. So First far. one with Simon Pegg. Right? Oh, yeah. I should have used him as a touchstone. There's the one after with that Simon as well. Pegg. Oh, okay. Right. He's in all of them. So he's, not, he's not in the first one. So the fact nobody can remember which one Ghost <laughs> Protocol is maybe discounts it from that. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, Mad Max yes. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Mm, is that a fourth or is it a reboot? Ooh. I think you have to claim that because this is a question that's far easier if you cheat. Yeah. So <laughs> I've, been going through, I've been going through what is like the fourth installment of various things. The fourth MCU film was Thor. The Kenneth Branagh, yeah. which I think is, I think is pretty good. I really like it. Fourth Rocky film, Rocky Four. I mean, it's not perhaps not better than the first one, but it's still pretty good. It's my favorite. Is that I, the robot yeah. one, yeah, with the mega montage. Not anymore. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's, it's oh, sorry. Robot. No, they've changed it, haven't yeah. they? Is that the robot one? <laughs> like that's the notable fact <laughs> about Rocky Four. However, you remembered which one it was. I did. Yeah. Because of the robot. The, What's the Four Fast and Furious? That would be Fast, Fast and Furious 4, four. <laughs> presumably. Oh, I should know that. Uh, that that's um, Vin and Paul Walker go to Central America and do some crimes. What, what was your other suggestions, Ian? Well, like, the fourth Bond movie was Thunderball, which is terrible. Mm. <laughs> like, it's a real dip, I think, from the ones before it. So good they made it twice. Well, there you go. Um, now, if you cheat a little bit and don't take uh, Hammer productions, like Hammer horror films... The fourth is The Curse of Frankenstein, which is the Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee one, yeah. which is like superb. Mm. You know, That's the that best is a Frankenstein. great film. But there is a clear winner, which is the fourth Godzilla film is 1964's Godzilla <laughs> versus Mothra, which is delightfully batshit. Yeah. Why did you say that name? <laughs> now, if we take the order of the universe in the series rather than the order of their release in mm. our cinemas... Star Wars A New Hope is the fourth one in that series. Because yeah. it's episode four. It's not because of Rogue One. Oh, damn it. <laughs> it's the fourth one in the Skywalker saga. Yeah, but Rogue One is It's equally... got episode four in the title. <laughs> can I not claim it? <laughs> yeah, but you can't have it. It means you can have Rogue One, though. Oh, I could, yeah. Which that, was yeah. excellent. Well, actually, Solo comes before Rogue One. Oh, that wasn't as good. Yeah. No. Mm. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire is one of the best of the films. That is a good one, yeah. I think it's one of the films that's better than the book, Don't Tell Hazel. The book started getting a bit unwieldy then, didn't they? Yeah. When, she, when they stopped editing, I like they used to do, and they just let her yeah, go for it. Yeah, when 
as yeah. did the films. I mean, <laughs> the last two films are just kids being miserable in a field. I seem to a really recall. bad camping <laughs> trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were yeah. shit. It's like Louise at Glastonbury basically was exactly the last the two same. Harry Potter films. Yeah. <laughs> but with those two Harry Potter ones, it's you mean the one in the tent? And you go, which one in the tent? Because mm. it could be two of them. There are tents in the fourth film. They go to the World Cup. They do. Mm. And there are some great Tall, tents. They're more, like, tents. they're more like night tents, like where they're getting ready for battle. They're a bit cooler than the sad tent that they just live in for the, <laughs> the last two films. The, the yeah. one where they spent most of the film in the tent, I think they should have called it Harry on Camping. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what was the fourth Star Trek film like, he asks, not having seen that, any of them? The Voyage Home. Uh, that was a good one. That was the one where they come back to San Francisco to take Save a whale back to the future. Oh, that, that is worth a watch. So no one liked Alien Resurrection? I liked, oh, it. I liked it. It was a deafening silence. When the fourth Indiana Jones film comes out, that could be a contender. That could be good, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> so um, have we got a unanimous answer here? Blind of Chucky. Alien Resurrection. Godzilla vs. Mothra. Uh, Mad Max. Story Road. Episode 4. So no, no. <laughs> no consensus we, we whatsoever. Don't. We'll all rewatch Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol and can decide that it's that. Yep. I'm probably not going to do I that. I think we no. can we can all agree that Man Max Fury Road is the best Man Max film. I think we can all I, agree oh yeah, on that. Yeah. Yeah. As the fourth film in a series. Mm-hmm. I think we both have to take it and have to unanimously like claim it as being the best one of the film. best action films ever made, <laughs> therefore. Yeah. So there we are. We have a conclusion and it is Terminator Salvation. So uh, <laughs> we hope uh, that has helped you decide your future nerdy film watching habits. Uh, fourth films, most are all right. Yeah. Okay, so now it's time for some film buffs or film bluffs, where we have three movie facts, two of which are completely true, one of which is a load of old bollocks. So starting us off this week, we have Daniel Watkins. Uh, yes, I've been on a bit of a musicals kick recently with Tick Tick Boom coming out on Netflix, Encanto in cinemas, and obviously lots of people have been listening to Stephen Sondheim songs recently. And Diana the Musical. And Diana the Musical, yes, John. Better than a Guinness, better than a wank. My Buffer Bluff is not about Diana the Musical. Uh, It's about one of my favourites, Les Miserables. So here are three (laughs) references to Les Mis in pop culture. Which one have I made up? Number one, wrestler The Miz changed his name to Les Mis when Hugh Jackman made a guest appearance in WWE. Jackman ended up punching Miz in the face. Number two, when Sideshow Bob first went to prison in The Simpsons... He was given prisoner number 24601 as a homage to Les Mis, because Jean Valjean's prisoner number is 24601. And number three, Sesame Street created their own version of Les Mis called Les Miserables. Cookie Monster stars as Jean Bonbon, quote, a French man who is very sad because he has no cookies. <laughs> <laughs> All of those sound better than Les Miserables. Louise, you take that back. My dad subjected my family to a lot of Les Miserables soundtrack in the car on a lot of holidays, and it's traumatised me. I can't bear it. And the film was dreadful. Was it the movie soundtrack he made you listen no, to? No, he or, used to. He'd been to one. see. He'd, I think I don't think they'd seen the show in full, but he'd definitely seen some of the kind of concerts. And then we went to see the movie because he was so excited because we love Les. He loves Les Miserables, and it was the worst film ever. <laughs> Speaking as so the person bad. standing up for Alien Resurrection, <laughs> I will discount your opinion on the Fair film enough. of Les Mis. Fair the thing enough. is, if she's wrong about Les Mis, is it possible that she's wrong about Chucky? Nope. No. no. <laughs> Absolutely not. I have never seen Les Mis in any form. And until recently, I thought all musicals were shit. Yes, but Hazel and I have worked on you. You we, have. We, and got, you, we you, got you to watch and Hamilton. You've, you've turned me around. We got you to watch Come From Away. Hamilton is amazing come from away is amazing so you never know the miz yeah. may be better than we'll, a guinness we'll work you better, up to it oh, no. but um, we'll find out don't start with diana the musical <laughs> okay so the third one oddly enough um my friend Fizz frizzle who is a semi-popular comedian uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a musical comedian and one of his uh, bits is about how depressing Le Miserable is, and he wants to make it less miserable. And his way that he does that is by imagining the show performed by Muppets. Ah. And he does a little montage of Muppets doing <laughs> Les Mis songs. Yeah. Did he write Les Miserables? I don't believe he did, but it's, it's strange that two people have gone there, because I think that's the bluff. 
So, oh. <laughs> Le Miserable is the only one I want to exist. <laughs> I think that'll be yeah. quite amusing. Did it feature a moose muppet? It featured Cookie Monster. Oh, okay. There's no actual moose in it. It's all about cookies, but mm. Le, Le Cookie Rabble doesn't really work as a pun. As a bluff, no. <laughs> She's rejecting your entire <laughs> suggestion now. Yeah, all right. I, I think, sadly, that has outed that as the bluff. Yeah. Because there's no way the Muppets are going to do Le Mousserable without a moose. Exactly. Mm. Was Sesame Street not the Muppets? Well, Technically. It's, it's Muppet adjacent. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I know the Simpsons one. Don't they do the, one of the songs or something? Or Sideshow um, Bob performs some songs in an episode. Sideshow Bob performs HMS Pinafore, yeah. which <laughs> is Gilbert and Sullivan in full. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and out of copyright. Yeah. As well. Yes. Uh, I don't think he's sung anything from Les Mis, but he would be a fan of the show, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I can believe that he would have had the number in as a little Simpsons in joke for people who knew those miserable people yeah. who watch Les Miserables. It's sat right next to you. <laughs> Choosing to ignore it. It's great, everybody. You know it's great. And what was the, what was the first one again? Um, the Miz changing his name to Lay Miz and getting punched by Hugh Jackman on One Night Only. That sounds exactly like the sort of thing you'd make up. So now <laughs> <laughs> It's all your little niche interests all put together in one. I mean, I think you don't think it's a bluff, but I don't think it happened that you dreamt it enough times that you convince yourself it was real. Welcome to Bluffception with John. <laughs> so. Yeah, so um, just, to, just to recap, uh, we've got Les Mis, a.k.a. The Miz, being punched out by Hugh Jackman. We've got Sideshow Bob and Prisoner Number 24601. And we have Sesame Street doing Les Miserables. I think mm. Sesame Street's the bluff because of the moose mouse Muppet disconnect. I'm genuinely torn, but I think I'm going to yeah. go for... I'm going to go for Sesame Street being the bluff. Moose. <laughs> I will make a score it and go for moose. Well, you're all wrong. No! <laughs> moose does exist. Uh, we will put a video of it up on our Twitter feed. And it's great. It's six minutes of Cookie Monster going through the wretched people of 19th century France looking for cookies. Uh, the bluff was Les Mis the Wrestler. Uh, there is a wrestler called The Miz. Hugh Jackman did appear in WWE, but he punched Dolph Ziggler in the face, not The Miz. Therefore, Libluff. I can't believe they didn't call it Le Mouserables and put a mouse in it. This is moose as in, you know, oh, chocolate, like mousse. Mousse. Yeah. chocolate mousse. Oh. Did he steal some mousse instead of a loaf of bread? He stole cookies. Ah, okay. He stole cookies. Obviously. Yeah, there, there's, like I say, there's no moose in it. It's mm-hmm. all about cookies. Cookie Monster is very one note. <laughs> As is Jean Bonbon. <laughs> so who'd like to go next? I have three interesting movie and trivia facts, not linked by any logical thing other than I found them interesting. Number one, Doctor Who's faithful robot dog K9 and lovable plasticine dog Gromit from the Wallace and Gromit series were co-created by the same person. Number two, after Apollo 13, Ron Howard briefly considered making a fictional movie that included real footage filmed specially for it on the space shuttle. And number three, fun 2011 heist movie Tower Heist originally had the working title of Trump Heist. Eddie Murphy pitched it in 2005 as about disgruntled employees of Donald Trump hatching a plot to rob their boss. Which one's the bluff? There is a long-time collaborator with Nick Park for Wallace and Gromit. That is Nick Park, right? Yeah. The Wallace yeah. and Gromit yeah. 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 yeah, who is, he's like old-school British TV. Like, the guy worked on Moth and things like that. And so I think there's probably a grain of truth in that one. This gentleman, whose name escapes me, was definitely around that Was it Peter period. Lord? He's the name you normally hear with Hardman. Yeah. yeah. And he was involved in Moth. And K9. Gromit, obviously, stop motion. K9, presumably not robot. Well, I know he was a robot in the show, but (laughs) how did they do him at all? He was radio controlled. He was radio controlled, okay. But I guess the modelling skills would be applicable across both. Absolutely. I don't think he actually physically made... Oh, just coming up with the idea. Mm. The model for K9 is basically someone spray-painted a shoebox silver and (laughs) stuck an antenna on the top. So that's plausible. He's very snarky, K9. Well, so is Gromit a little bit. Gromit, he does do a fair bit of eye rolling. Yeah, he's got the most expressive eyebrows in the history of cinema, <laughs> which is impressive. 
Tower Heist, I have not seen, but I've heard bad things about its director, mm. Brett Ratner. He was quite um, successful, but never a good director. Yes. Um, nor nor good to, to women, I believe. Yeah. Ripley that's, agrees. Uh, that's Ripley the libel dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I cannot remember the nature of the allegations against Brett Ratner. He was very good in Paddington. He was very good in Paddington. <laughs> Tower Heist, I haven't seen, but... I know there used to be a condition where if you wanted to include the Trump Tower in your film, you had to give Donald Trump a cameo. Mm -hmm. And a lot of directors got around it by filming the cameo, then editing him out in post-production. Home Alone 2 kept him in. Yeah, apparently when people watched Home Alone 2, they were also said, you left him in. You know, you can just film it and he's happy because he's never going to watch the film. I think I've heard that one, so I think that's true, the Trump heist. Yeah, if you call it Trump heist, you kind of have to include him in. And The Apprentice would have been around in 2005 when Eddie Murphy allegedly Mm. pitched this. Apparently it was originally pitched as an all-star vehicle for black comic actors, including Martin Lawrence, Chris Tucker, Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart and Tracy Morgan. And they ended up with Ben Stiller. Yeah. (laughs) But after the 2008 financial crash, it was decided that Trump was less relevant as an arch villain. (laughs) And the premise was modified (laughs) to revolve around a Bernie Madoff style businessman. Okay. And that leaves us with the middle one then. Uh, This was that Ron Howard Howard. briefly looked into making a fictional movie, including real footage filmed specially on the space shuttle. Do we know anything about what the fictional movie was about? It was to be set on the first mission to Mars, but it would have included stuff they filmed in low Earth orbit. Tom Cruise keeps talking about being set up to the International Space Station to Mm. be in a film, doesn't he? And I think there's a Russian one that's already been made that is in part set on the ISS or filmed in zero gravity. The idea came up because he'd worked on Apollo 13 Mm. quite closely with NASA. And um, they'd supplied archival footage for that. John holding in his venom there at the Tom Hanks film, <laughs> Apollo 13. You know the ending. Yeah, Titanic did terribly, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, NASA were looking for anything that would stimulate public interest in the space programme. Essentially, everyone's just taking it for granted and didn't really care about it anymore. So the guy who adapted the Jim Lovell story into Apollo 13 ended up writing an idea for it. Did the idea end up being Armageddon? Because I've never been more interested in space travel. Uh, no. Oh. Could you give us some equally convincing backstory for your bollocks about the dogs? <laughs> I can give you some equally convincing bollocks. It was a guy called Bob Baker who co-created both characters, uh, one with Nick Park and the other with his regular Doctor Who co-creator, Dave Martin. And apparently, when he contacted Russell T. Davies about writing for Who, when it was revived in 2005, he was basically told to get lost. Because <laughs> they wanted absolutely no writers from the original series. Is K-9 one of those characters where you have to put a little special credit in for the creator of it? Because I think the Daleks get that. And I yeah, noticed they get on, Terry Nation. Yeah, on last week's Doctor Who Flux credits, you get Ood created by Russell T. Davies. As well, Ood. so Ood. the K nine situation is weird that they be the they don't own K nine. It's a similar, it's kind of similar thing to the Daleks because mm. he got a spin off. He got a spin off. He's got Australian or Canadian or something. Yeah. You see, if we'd had a Wallace and Gromit short where Wallace had created K nine and Gromit had got jealous of this new robot dog, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that would have made this a lot easier. There was one with the robot dog, wasn't there? There was, but it wasn't K9, which leads me to believe that that's the bluff. That's my decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm going for Trump heist. My reason's twofold. One, I don't think back then Trump had like name recognition to title a film after him, certainly in the UK, definitely across the world, in any way that's positive to anyone. And secondly, I hate Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> that's the reason. Yeah. I think he's had name value in America for decades. It could have been one of those films where it was called that in the US and they might have changed yeah. it He's, I mean, he's been famous since the 80s and like known mm. in the UK since the 80s. But, you know, for a long time, he was just this odd self-parody of a rich arsehole. Mm. Still is. When did The Apprentice start, though? That must have been around 2005 because he did it for a long time before he decided to become a racist. I can't remember whether... No, he decided to become a racist a long, long yeah. ago. Did, did we come up with The Apprentice or did America come up with we, The Apprentice? I thought America, we originated it. No, it was American originally. Oh, yeah. okay. So he will have been on that from the start. Mm. And 
The British Apprentice was definitely on while I was at uni, which is between 2005-2008. So it must have been on around this time. Yeah. Sorry, Ian, not no, to no. discount I, your, bu- I, I, your bluffing. I applaud we, your We all hate in-depth. Donald Trump. We yeah. do. Um, Excuse me, you don't speak for all of us. Sorry. <laughs> Trump, better or worse than Tom Hanks, John? <laughs> Tread carefully. <laughs> uh, let's see, one's an overweening egomaniac who... Is inexplicably popular oh, for some heart, reason. Hazel yeah. and the world stop. And the other one got to be president for four years. <laughs> Tom Hanks would be a good president. He would be president. Yeah, Hanks. I was going for the Trump one as well for similar reasons. Donald Trump is shit, and no one would want to see a film with him as the headliner. <laughs> yeah, but if I didn't film... think he had that pull at all. I mean, he's got a built-in audience now, hasn't he? Well, yeah, sadly now <laughs> he has. But I, I don't think back then. I just can't see him as a headline draw. Oh, Peter's smirking. I'm obviously wrong. I'm being enigmatic. It was not enigmatic. <laughs> <laughs> the world premiere was hold, held at four seasons total landscaping. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for the um, the K9 Gromit just because I think I'd know if it was true. Solely that reason. Egomaniac answer as always. <laughs> What's the truth? It is true that K9 and Gromit were made up by the same person. Oh. Bob Baker. His autobiography is called K9 Stole My Trousers. <laughs> Number three, Tower Heist, is also true. Oh. The one I made up is Apollo 13. Mm. Mm. Was it based around some facts? Nope, not oh. at all. <laughs> It was very convincing, Peter. In fact, well I was planning to not mention Apollo 13 and for John to fall into the trap of saying, ah, because Ron Howard made Apollo 13. <laughs> I forgot to leave that bit out. Many years ago, Emma Thompson and Willem Dafoe were linked to a film which planned to shoot on the uh, International Space Station. It was going to be like a romance in space, starring those two. Oh, oh, I would that. love to see that. Yeah, movie. it sounds really intriguing, doesn't it? But I don't know the logistics of. Like, yeah, well, they, could they, they would be terrible. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had, to, I, I'd worked out how how they were going to do it. Was they were going to have a real astronaut who had some acting experience, who was going to be on the mission and would film various stuff they could use, and they would integrate him with stuff they filmed in the studio. Right. Uh, who was astronaut Terence W. Wilcutt, uh, who was a real astronaut um, and an actor. No, I made that bit up. Oh, the, oh sorry, this was fiction, right? Yeah. Actonaut. Well, yeah, that's that's two down, and nobody has got any right so far. No, we Louise, suck. we're all rubbish. Would you like to go next? So I have some buff or bluffs based on the NCCU. The, the, oh fuck no! <laughs> Blank faces, which is the Netflix Christmas Cinematic Universe. Oh, <laughs> no, do we have to? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> So I have the premises of three films from the Netflix Christmas Cinematic Universe. Would you like to explain to us what the Netflix Connected Cinematic Universe is? Um, It's a tenuous linkage between all the Christmas movies that Netflix has produced over the last four or five years. And they do a lot of them, don't they? They churn out a lot of these buggers, yeah. You're always watching them. Yeah, there's a lot of them to get through. Um, And there have been some tenuous links formed between them where characters have cameoed across films, but in ways that actually create giant plot holes because they're not, they're not policing it as well as the Mm. MCU does. There's no Kevin Feige. No, no, no one has any control over this thing. They just (laughs) chuck a few cameos in here and there. They've clearly got some props lying around. They reuse them. They create a massive plot hole because um, there was a Christmas ornament that was a critical point in one of the Christmas films. And it just pops up in another one on a tree and things like that happen. It's very flimsy. I see. But it is technically referred to as the Netflix Christmas Cinematic Universe. By who? It's interest, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> who does this? Netflix does. So here's three films and one of them is bullshit. So within the Netflix Christmas Cinematic Universe, the Queen of Aldovia, a European country of no fixed location where the only language spoken is English, is a New York journalist who visited to write an expose story about Playboy Crown Prince Richard, who she then met and fell in love with. Premise two, the Queen of Zakovia, a European country of no fixed location where the only language spoken is English, is a New York architect who won a design competition to restore the famous Zakovian Royal Ski Lodge for the recently widowed Queen and then met and fell in love with his son, Crown Prince Frederick. And not the same film. <laughs> the Queen of Belgravia, a European country of no fixed location where the only language spoken is English, 
is a Chicago baker who visited to take part in the country's famous annual Royal Christmas Baking Contest, where she met and fell in love with Crown Prince Edward. Well, I'm, I'm not going to answer this because I've seen two of these. Oh, no, I don't I, think... No, of I course I haven't! <laughs> I love this. How I much, love this so much. How much free time and self-hatred do you have, Peter? <laughs> not enough to watch a millisecond of any of those. Well, at least two of these, maybe. You could go and watch, Peter. As you were reading the first one, I thought, this sounds familiar, this sounds real, and then I realised that the next two were the same film. (laughs) (laughs) There's subtle differences. The first one is set in Aldovia and has the New York journalist. The second one is set in Zerkovia and has a New York architect. And the third one is in Belgravia and has a Chicago baker. Oh, Chicago. Oh, well. Now, we all know that Louise is a fan of the Bake Off. So I can imagine that if you were going to have your fancy Christmas film, it would involve a baking competition. Very festive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but Netflix also knows that the Bake Off's really popular. Yeah. And might have wanted a film like that. Mm. Ian, as an NCCU diehard, <laughs> <laughs> I can tell from your expression. I, no, I just, I, I love the confidence with which Louise has just correctly <laughs> worked out none of us would have seen any of these. <laughs> so I have no basis for comparison. The second one, what's the country again? Zerkovia. Very close to... The Marvel country where the... the Sokovia. Sokovia. Yeah. I'm hoping other, other Christmas movies get like dragged into this vortex, <laughs> like Die Hard somehow is in the same universe. They have That'd managed just be amazing. it. So they've, they've released some other Christmas films um, that didn't have the, the princess theme that a lot of them do. Um, but they, the characters in these other ones quite often watch the other films on TV. But then sometimes characters cameo in them as well, which is just not possible. So they, they do have very terrible crossovers. This is a delight. Mm-hmm. And the, in, in my profession, like making games, there are people who are employed as like law keepers to look after <laughs> continuities mm-hmm. and things like that. Louise, put your CV in <laughs> to Netflix now. They definitely don't have a law keeper and need one. I'm going to say the second one's the bluff. So the second one was Zakovia and the New York Architect. Yeah, there's no discernible difference between any of these premises. <laughs> well, no, so no, I'm no, basing no, no, it on no. the country. You say name. that the third one, the person was from Chicago. That oh, is yeah. too different for me, and that's why I think it's the bluff. <laughs> <laughs> New York okay. or nothing. I'm going for the first one, just simply to ensure someone wins this time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for the third one. The third one. Okay, so. The first one, the Queen of Aldovia, is a New York journalist who visited to write an expose story about the, the Playboy Crown Prince. It's true. That was A Christmas Prince, which was one of the first two movies in Where the NCCU. Where did they get their names? Oh, no. <laughs> it was followed by A Christmas Prince, The Royal Wedding, and A Christmas Prince, The Royal Baby. Ah. And it I'm looking stars... forward to A Christmas Prince, The Royal Divorce, A Christmas <laughs> Prince, The Royal Sex Tape. <laughs> Uh, and it stars Rose McIver, who is in was in a series the called I Zombie, Zombie and is yeah. the, in the USA version of Ghosts, apparently. They asked her, mm. why the hell are you making these Christmas films? And she said, why not? It's a bit of fun. So there Fair enough. Go. She's good in I Zombie. She's good in A Christmas Prince, kind of. I'll take your word for that. <laughs> yeah, so Christmas Prince is true and has a whole series of other films. The second one, the Queen of Zerkovia, is a New York architect who won a design competition to design the ski lodge. That is not true. But oh. I, did make up, I did make up a name for it and cast it, so okay. thanks for not asking any questions about that. And what have you called it? It was called The Snow Palace, and it starred Jenna Dewin, who was Channing Tatum's ex-wife. Ah. Despite that none of this was real, this was no, all well, I, I thought I might get questions, but you didn't ah. care enough. <laughs> <laughs> and the right. third one, the Queen of Belgravia is a Chicago baker who visited to take part in a, in a baking competition. Is true, that is The Princess Switch, starring Vanessa Hudgens, which spawned The Princess Switch, switched again. Um, she's actually in it twice, she plays herself and her doppelganger, and in the third one she's in it three times because they have another lookalike who turns up as well and that is princess switch three romancing the star i can't wait for the princess switch nine i know (laughs) it's gonna keep happening army of princesses (laughs) (laughs) so many hutchinses yeah the nccu features other delights like holiday in the wild where Kristen davis from sex in the city um books a beautiful african safari holiday with her husband who then dumps her so she goes on the holiday anyway and falls in love with elephant vet rob lowe (laughs) <laughs> do you mean he's a vet who is an elephant um, 
Yeah, no, he's a vet who looks after the. Oh. But they saved, they saved Christmas elephant. <laughs> <laughs> he's an elephant who was a former soldier. They saved festive <laughs> elephants together. <laughs> I've seen things, man. Things you should got to believe. Confusingly, Vanessa Hudgens has been two different characters in the NCCU because there was also a film called The Night Before Christmas, Night with a K, where a time-travelling medieval knight came and found her in a little Ohio town. And But she's someone else in that one and not the character from The Princess Witch. They're floating the notion that the character from The Night Before Christmas could appear in Princess Witch 4, which would make four Hudgens in one movie. Who's the they in this situation? Who is floating this notion? They, Louise, isn't it? They, mm. you know, they. There's always a they. Yeah. The, the NCCU they. brain trust. They're just free-floating commentators. <laughs> in their giant Christmas tree-shaped skyscraper in LA. Yeah. The Princess Witch 3 actually turned into an action film because they, con- for no reason I can recall, they conducted an art heist where they were spent a lot of the film doing acrobatics over laser security grids to rescue some Christmas ornament. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. There's one with Kelsey Grammer and John Cleese's warring dads at Christmas, isn't there? I have not watched that. I don't think that's technically part of the NCCU. It's, it's... <laughs> I love you've decided the one you don't want to watch. No. Well, we've established there's no lawkeeper, so no. I will keep the law by saying that is not part of it. it it's, it's the defenders of the NCCU. Yeah, yeah. that will be my job. Title. And there was one you said you saw that was actually quite good, so would you like to defend... Um, did I? Which L- one? Love Hard? Not sure that technically falls in the NCCU either. The, the NCCU movies have a certain cheese level, and Love Hard was quite sarcastic and sincere, so I'm not sure it would fall into it. Is this like Netflix trying to take on Hallmark at Christmas? I think so. Because they do yeah. a lot of Christmas movies. They churn out a lot of the things, yeah. But I think Netflix's are possibly slightly more watchable. Um, I recently watched A Castle for Christmas with Brooke Shields as a, a famous American author who goes and to Scotland. <laughs> yeah. Scotland, a, a strange fog country where everyone kind of speaks English. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's pretty much it's the same thing, yeah. So is there going to be like an NCCU Avengers? Well, this is the thing. Apparently some minor characters have already appeared in different films, but in films where... Um, the characters have been seen watching the films, so it doesn't make sense that they're there, and it's been accused of creating massive yeah. plot holes in the NCCU and, and universe. This, this is where the problem with Netflix comes in, because it doesn't just let you play through the credits, so we'll never know if Samuel L. Jackson has turned up <laughs> at the end of any of these films to set up a team. It would be Santa, though, it? just though, goes on it? to the next film. He'd, it would be Samuel L. Jackson in a Santa suit yeah. coming to get them. Yeah. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that. Shall I go next? Please, please free us from this Christmas hell hell. Oh, you Grinches. <laughs> we talked a bit earlier about four films and sequels and series of films and so on. And as you know, I am a fan of films in the horror genre. At the end of your typical horror film, your monster will be killed off by a creative group of teens, never to attack or cause harm again, unless the film makes enough money for a sequel in which case you have to bring your character back. Some characters have come back in amazing and unusual ways, and some characters have come back in shit ways. <laughs> so here are three... And wh- which films do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> As if we didn't know. We know the answer. So here are three ways in which characters have come back in sequels. Freddy Krueger has come back because of piss. Freddy Krueger came back because a demon dog urinated on his skeleton. The urine has been set on fire and Freddy Krueger was reborn. Chucky the doll came back to life because of recycling. Ten years after the events of Child's Play 2, the uh, good guy doll company decided that everyone's forgotten about the murderous rampage and we can just start selling the dolls again. The way to do this is to decide to recycle the plastic used in the previous dolls including the burnt corpse of Chucky that had just been randomly (laughs) left in the middle of an operating factory for 10 years with nobody noticing. Chucky's blood falls into the plastic and Chucky is back. 80s Toys. The demon pinhead from the Hellraiser series was brought back as a result of a Rubik's Cube expert. This is one of the straight-to-video Hellraiser sequels, which features a deaf and dumb teenager in a mental asylum, and the only way he communicates with people is via Rubik's Cubes, which he can do at amazing speeds. When the care staff at the asylum decide to have an orgy one night, they bring (laughs) the Hellraiser box with them, which, as you know, if you open, brings forth 
Pinhead and the other Cenobites. You assume a lot about what we know. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, know. despite the sex, drugs and debauchery, nobody can actually operate the box and it is thrown under a bed and forgotten about until the next day when the Rubik's Cube child <laughs> finds it and solves it in a second, causing demons to appear throughout the asylum. Now, listeners won't know this, but remarkably, John did all of that off the top of his head. He has no notes. He's got nothing written down about these buffs or bluffs, which means he's either improvised the one he's made up or, all or three. he just knows the ins and outs and the intricacies of the ones that aren't. And I don't know what's worse. Mm. <laughs> okay. Let's get forensic on this. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the Hellraiser puzzle box or the Lament configuration in the second Hellraiser film is, sol- is solved by like a young girl who is a puzzle prodigy yeah. and the Cenobites don't attack her because she's not solved it through passion or obsession. She's just solved it because she's very good at puzzles. That's not to say this is like John's bluff isn't true because they probably ignore the rules. They've already set up anyway in these like later things. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting. The Freddy dog piss fire, <laughs> I think is real. Um, I have a vague recollection of being told this a long time ago. So either was it by John? <laughs> either John is just in my head, <laughs> which is a possibility. Or I mean, one like two of these have to be true. <laughs> so the recycling Chucky doll. Weirdly, that's the most logical one. <laughs> I just checked on the internet before because you mentioned Chucky a lot. There are 10,000 Chucky films. So it may well, may well be true. Hmm. I'm not going to cast my die just yet. I'm intrigued to see what the group thinks. A few weeks ago, I would have gone for Hellraiser because it's the thing that John mentions every episode. But recently, <laughs> Chucky has been getting a lot of airtime on this podcast. So mm. it sort of rules out my obvious option. I've realised we have another Chucky expert in the room, Louise. I can't comment on this one because I know you ran it past me earlier, obviously forgetting I was joining the podcast, so I can't say anything. Were there any callbacks or allusions to this on the Chucky TV show that I know you watched so attentively? I'm glad it's over. But unfortunately, they've commissioned another series. (laughs) Season two. It's inexplicably popular and has amazing reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, so maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a work of genius. It's not. (laughs) So there's a bit in um, the Chucky TV series, the finale, I was going off on a little tangent here, which drove me as a horror nerd mad. There's a, there's a showing of Frankenstein, the 1931 Boris Karloff film, and the whole town has gone to this charity screen of Frankenstein and all this chaos happens during it. And there's a bit where you see the film on the screen and then behind there's a standoff with Chucky the doll with a knife another kid with another knife and um some terrible child actors the the girls up between them and they're kind of moving towards each other with a knife and then you cut back to the cinema where the show in frankenstein but in the bit where they show the film it's half an hour later in the film so logically these people must be just stood there silently moving towards each other with a knife for at least 30 minutes. <laughs> Shuffling you know, a millimetre at a time. Yeah, I, yeah. I would love for you to maintain this high logical bar with all the films you watch <laughs> and just see how far you get. I generally got annoyed about it, didn't You did I? it all the way through. As, as I was sitting there inexplicably watching the finale of this thing just to make sure it ended, then um, he was, every time they cut back, he went, that's 20 minutes later, that's 13 minutes later, that's 47 minutes later. Like so. That's not the worst thing about this program, John. I was confident John was going to find an excuse to get his Chucky joke in, so I'm pleased that he didn't. Ah, now, have you stumbled on the logic here, Peter? Has that Chucky one been made up by John as an excuse to get to talk about Chucky again? Mm. <laughs> like John needs any excuse to <laughs> talk about any I tell you what, it was time. really bad downloading this week. It was, like, stuttering no. all the time. It no. I had to keep pausing. It had, like, no. had to, like, buffer. And it didn't buffer till like, 3am. No. So I was up all night to get Chucky. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no. Is that a tumbleweed? <laughs> yeah. I, you can just hear the rain <clears throat> in the background silently. It's your tears. <laughs> Against my own logic, I'm going to choose Hellraiser as the bluff because its components are similar to another Hellraiser thing I know. I am going with Chucky just for the headology reason of, <laughs> I think John just wanted to talk about Chucky. 
I'm also going for Chucky. I'm abstaining. Okay. Um, <laughs> you win. <laughs> the only way to win is not to play. <laughs> Freddy Krueger was brought back to life by a dog pissing on his skeleton. Uh, Chucky was recycled into a new Chucky doll. Uh, the Hellraiser was the bluff. Unfortunately, I'd forgotten about the quite similar bit in Hellraiser <laughs> <laughs> To which I basically added a Rubik's Cube <laughs> and an orgy. The orgy should have been there. a red flag, to be honest, shouldn't it? Most things I do, I add a Rubik's Cube and an orgy too, mainly because at an orgy I want something to do. <laughs> the orgy must have been a late addition because that wasn't in when you told me it earlier. No, well, they couldn't do it because their hands were all slippery with KY jelly and goose fat. It was a Christmas orgy. I guess it's my go. <laughs> I guess it is, Ian. Bring us home. Okay. <laughs> Follow that. So, for no reason whatsoever, my bluff is on actors who have played Marvel's premier crime boss, Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. The Kingpin. Mm. No reason whatsoever. No, no reason, reason whatsoever. Kingpin was first introduced in Spider-Man and Spider-Man comic issue 50 in 1967. He's one of a few kind of gangster parody characters which exist in Marvel, like Hammerhead is one, the Enforcers. There's a, there's a few knocking around. But the character gained a lot of popularity and a lot of character, frankly, in the 80s when the writer-artist of Daredevil, Frank Miller, made the Kingpin the primary antagonist of that series. Wilson Fisk has led an interesting life. Um, he's been married, he's been blinded briefly. His son, Richard Fisk, is also another like uh, super criminal character who went by the Rose. And in Marvel, like Comics continuity, he's currently the mayor of New York. He's one of these characters that has punched above his weight in terms of he's been represented in a ton of media, even though he's kind of a bit of a B-list. Got quite a lot of weight to punch above. There you he? go, indeed. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah he, he punches hard, he lifts heavy things. He's, uh, he's very strong. But, and he's been played by tons and tons of different actors. And we're going to give you three for free. So... The late, great, Oscar-nominated Michael Clark Duncan mm-hmm. played uh, Wilson Fisk. Opposite Ben Affleck, uh, Jennifer Garner, Colin Farrell in the 2003 movie Daredevil. The Tony and Emmy award-winning actor Leah Schreiber plays Wilson Fisk in the jaw-droppingly brilliant Into the Spider-Verse. Oh. And uh, an actor primarily known for his cameo in Adventures in Babysitting, Vincent D'Onofrio, <laughs> <laughs> plays him in the very cancelled and definitely not coming back in any form uh, Daredevil Netflix TV show. Why would you say that? No reason. <laughs> no reason. Uh, but which of these following actors has not played the Kingpin? John Reese davies J.B. Blanc, and I'll get to him in a minute, Dwight Schultz. Dwight Schultz of A-Team. So, Dwight Schultz, Murdoch in the A-Team, Barkley um, in Star Trek The Next Generation. I know all about Reg Barkley yeah. now. I've watched all of Star Trek The Next Generation now. It's taken three years and I've done it. <laughs> or Broccoli, as he is referred yeah. to. But yes. Yeah. Can't imagine him as the kingpin, though. No. Nope. So who's the second one? I don't recognise that uh, name. JB Blanc. He's a facial recognised, probably, and, but his voice is in a ton of stuff. So he's a French-American actor. He's in Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Barry, and he pops up in tons of American things. He's been in like CSI and stuff. He does a bit of acting in person, but he's like very, very prolific in voice work. He's done a lot of cartoons and an awful lot of games. He's been Bane in a Batman game. He's Alfred Pennyworth. He's quite diverse in what he can do. But he's also the kingpin in Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is a 2014 game. So when was um, Reginald Dwight? That's uh, Elton John, isn't that? <laughs> <laughs> Reg Barkley. Elton John is also playing the kingpin. Um, no, so Dwight Schultz, uh, Murdoch in the A-Team. So he played the kingpin and other Marvel characters in a 2011 podcast and audiobook. Marvel did an audio version of a Daredevil comic. Nice, because he can't read the comic, so it's nice of them to do that for him. Daredevil has a lot of like blind fans. Like mm. this, you know, the, the character does, and it's been associated with a bunch of charities. So this was an initiative by... Mark Wade, who was writing the comic at the time, and Steve Wacker, who is one of like Marvel's editors, there is like a narrated first issue. Now it's a bit weird because it's not like a novelization. It goes like page one, panel one, describes the panel. And who was the first one again? Um, John Reese Davis. So Gimli from Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. uh, Salah from Indiana Jones. Uh, do you want to know? Do you want to know? Do we yeah. think he could do an American accent? Yeah. He's done them before. He's got the kind of booming, bellowy kind of voice that you would want a kingpin to have. It's kind of got the physicality but, of... But this is it. He played him in person. 
Oh. So this one is in the 1989 TV movie, The Trial of the Incredible Hulk, which you'll have seen. It, there's images of Daredevil in this. Knocking, the light, knocking the around spark the internet. of light in John's eyes. So, you mentioned um, The Trial and, of the Incredible Hulk And this Hulk is like there. Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrino, it's that Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a backdoor pilot for a proposed Daredevil TV show. They're all too plausible. Yeah. yeah. I, remember, I remember The Trial of the Incredible Hulk. It was the kingpin in it. I don't remember it that well. There was the return of the Incredible Hulk, the trial and the death, and Thor was in one of them. That was the return of the Incredible Hulk, yeah. and the trial of the Incredible Hulk. They were planned to do a Tony Stark, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. The second one is so obscure that you know none of us would ever have heard of them. But does that mean no, that he would made them all? True. I think that one's true. There was yeah. a 2014 Amazing Spider-Man 2 game, which was terrible by all accounts. So presumably not based on the film, which had enough no. villains in it as it was and probably didn't need Kingpin being parachuted in. But I think Kingpin was in that. Mm-hmm. And Carnage. I, I can't, I'm sure there's more. But I, can't. I think oh. all the premises sound likely and it's the casting mm. that could be questionable. Mm. So. And Ian's being very convincing on all three of them. Such detail. I think I remember so John Reese davis being in a Hulk series. Is he that well known? When he popped up, you go, that's a bit weird. John Reese davis playing yeah. Wilson Fisk, but then that information would immediately be expunged from your brain. One brain, brain cell out the other. Yeah. He's only got two. <laughs> but if, if Ian was going for a bluff with the trial of the Incredible Hulk, why pick John Reese davis Why not pick a New Yorky or American actor? Why him? Because, if it was not true. Because Ian has a weird obsession with the actor John Reese davis Are you not aware of this? Have you ever been to his house? There's no pictures of his wife. <laughs> Oh, it's just pictures of Gimli from Lord just of the Rings. Of Gimli, like, on the welcome ad, it just says nobody tosses a dwarf. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. Like, most of them are actual photos of his real family, but everyone else have just cut out pictures of John Reese davis stuck yeah. them over the head. Yeah. It's not just it's John Reese davis as Gimli and Hagrid. I've just got them plastered around the room. Yeah. I think Dwight Schultz is the bluff. I'm going for, I'm going for Murdoch. I am going for Gimli. I'm going to go for JB, JB, JB Blanc. Because I reckon he's probably done a shitload of voiceovers and has done every character apart from Wilson Fisk. <laughs> I'm going to go for John Rhys Davies as the bluff. No, he's just going to go for him in the street. He's a complete opposite of you. He has an irrational hatred of him. <laughs> okay, so uh, JB Blanc or Jean Baptiste Blanc, he has definitely voiced the Kingpin. He's an amazingly prolific voice actor. I've had the pleasure of working with him, which was oh. awesome. And he's great in Breaking Bad and Bang. John Reese davis did play the Kingpin wow. in uh, The Trial of the Incredible Hulk. He's um, largely sat behind a table wearing mirrored glasses. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's definitely in it. Which brings us to Dwight Schultz. Uh, Dwight Schultz actually has a remarkable voiceover career and a remarkable games and animation acting career. He's one of the voices in Mass Effect. But no, he did not do an audio version of Daredevil. But that does exist. It's actually read by Mark Wade, the writer of the comic. He's largely just reading his script. And Steve Wacker, the editor, actually does the voice of every character terribly. But <laughs> it, was, it was a real thing. It's free. It still exists uh, online. You can find it and listen to it. And the run it's from is very, very good. And the Kingpin is not in that shoe. Um, now, speaking of other things, the Kingpin may not be in it, Ian. So... This is my proclamation. The Hawkeye TV show will not have the Kingpin in it. There's been loads of rumours that the Kingpin is going to appear in Hawkeye. Charlie Cox's Daredevil is most likely going to be in the next Spider-Man film. The way the third episode of Hawkeye was filmed, you do see a mysterious like stranger interacting with a young Maya Lopez who goes on to be the Marvel character, I won't say hero or, vi- <laughs> hero or villain, uh, Echo. Echo. Yeah. (laughs) And you see someone who is her uncle or referred to as her uncle. We've been down this road before. I don't think there's any way in the logic of the show they're going to pull a character from a different show and make them central to this with no more foreshadowing than we've seen so far. I just can't see Vincent D'Onofrio returning as the Kingpin in this form. And I want it. I want it more than anyone. (laughs) Any excuse to get dead and fine. I love Daredevil so much, guys. <laughs> I really do. And I really want it. I don't think it'll be a big part of it. I think it will be the little reveal. I think you'll see in post-credits in episode six. So another reason I don't think so is 
there's tons of stuff in Hawkeye already. We know mm-hmm, we're going to yeah. get um, Florence Pugh as Black Widow too. We know she's appearing. She's filmed a bit. She's talked about it. You know what I mean? And so how we many... We only have three episodes to go. Exactly. Didn't Vincent D'Onofrio tease that he was going to be in it, though? Didn't he drop some very mm. unsubtle hints? Vincent D'Onofrio, his... It's a big tease. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Since Daredevil was cancelled, there is a Save Daredevil campaign, which has been sort of quite active online. They've raised a lot of money. They've put up billboards. He's been very vocal with that and and retweeted a bunch of their tweets, that kind of thing. He made like a really cryptic reference, but he talks cryptic stuff all the time. He's this (laughs) like weird poetic presence on Twitter. I don't think we can read much into that. And I want to be wrong. I really want to be wrong. Well, episode four will have aired by the time this episode is released. So maybe we'll find out. Mm-hmm. I'll either be right or stupid. <laughs> but happy. <laughs> I, I, I can't see where Florence Pugh is going to come in with only a few episodes remaining. Yeah. Does seem odd. Yeah, and I wonder whether she's going to possibly be the credit cameo. She will be in the next episode. I will gamble heavily. Mm-hmm. One of us is going to sound really stupid. Florence Pugh is definitely not in the next episode. Of <laughs> yeah. Vincent well, D'Onofrio will appear in the Netflix Christmas Cinematic <laughs> Universe <laughs> as Wilson Fisk, the kingpin. There's a place for him there. There's a place for everyone in the NCCU. Even me? No, not you. Even a little boy like me? <laughs> not you and not your Chucky doll either. Okay, so that's it for this episode. If you've enjoyed yourselves, please leave us a review or a comment on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, MySpace, Meta, one of those sites that right-wing people set up when they get pushed off the normal sites. Maybe don't leave us a review up there. We don't don't want you as a fan. But if any of you do decide to do that, Daniel Watkins has a very special treat for you all. For this week's prize, you get a choice. You can either watch a child's play movie marathon with John or you get to sit with Louise and watch every <laughs> film in the MCCU <laughs> oh. that'll take a while so Duncan who left us the question and Frank's history and horror podcast who left us a lovely comment on Twitter we will be round with our previous gifts shortly um, if you could email us your home address and how to disable your security system <laughs> <laughs> I'll be seeing you soon oh. <laughs> or I might be <laughs> Until next time, you have been listening to... A man who is betting heavily on being correct about who's going to appear in various Marvel shows. A man who's planning to record the next podcast in space. A man who does hear the people sing, singing the song of angry men. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of the drum. A woman who's putting in her CV for the job of NCCU lawkeeper. And a man who's so happy that Chucky has been recommissioned so he can make that joke again eight times next year. <laughs> so we'll see you next time for an extra special anniversary 100th episode of the Nerdfest podcast. Oh. Bye. 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 I've been doing this shit since 2017. I think you'd be better at it by now. Yeah. yeah. Shouldn't need it at all. Star Trek Discovery had just started. One of the things we talked about on episode one. <laughs>